Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Please turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And please stand as we read God's word. Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Titus 2, starting at verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. It's good to see you. This is our last service before the new year. And uh, I've been thinking a lot about what kind of goals we should have for the new year. Um, I don't know how many of you have uh, heard of Ravi Zacharias. He's a very well-known apologist. He died this year. Um, he, had been, he has been in countless uh, colleges and universities, uh, has written a lot of books, um, has a ministry, multi-million dollar ministry, uh, where other people have gone out doing apologetics to uh, universities and colleges and other venues, even people that have written uh, on his team that have written books. Major ministry. Um, RZIM Ministries has uh, really been quite influential. On December 23rd of this year, just last week, actually, uh, RZIM Ministries put out a press release saying that in August of 2020, this year, uh, formal charges were brought against Ravi Zacharias for sexual misconduct. They put out this press release because they felt that their investigation was demonstrating that it was very likely that this might be the case, that there really was misconduct. So you have someone who has had a lot of influence, has influenced people around the world, not just in America. Lots of influence. And now this influence <clears throat> has been a way that people can look at Christianity and say, yeah, that's what I thought. Someone that is supposed to be going out and demonstrating the truth of Christ to the world through apologetics has now been used as a way of demonstrating that Christianity really doesn't have anything to offer at all. Influence. 
influence. Influence. And of course, uh, on social media, all the up-and-comers who are envious of all that influence that Ravi had have put their mark on social media saying, well, pride goes before a fall. Got to be careful out there. Positive that that will never happen to them. Because we live at a time where influence is king. We live at a time where because of the internet, we can have influence. You don't even need a degree. You can just read some books, put your opinion about those books up, and before you know it, you're a pastor of a multi-million, uh, multi-million uh, dollar church. Happens all the time. Influence. We are hungry for influence. Social media tells us, the fact that social media has been so successful has taught us that influence is something we all crave to have. I want you to look back at Titus 2. These are some simple instructions that Paul is giving Titus as he is trying to navigate a church. As he tries to navigate a church. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. I want you to notice here that this sound doctrine is supposed to lead to really, really practical things. The sound doctrine is, to, is directly related to what's next. Older men are to be this way. Older women are to be this way. Younger women are to be taught this. Younger men are to be taught that. And these teachings are extremely practical. Sound doctrine is supposed to be uh, woven into the practical living that is supposed to happen in the church. Now I will tell you this. I don't think we really want that as a church. Um, I have had the privilege of being in several different denominations through, the, through our moving around America. Um, and I can tell you that there are denominations out there that are fine denominations. But sound doctrine um, is something they're very interested in but you won't find them tying it into the lives of their people. Sound doctrine is the thing that their entire denomination has been built upon, and they're very proud of the work that has been done to ensure the sound doctrine that they have, but you will not find too many of their pastors tying that sound doctrine into the hearts of their people, calling them out on their sin, and calling them out for what they need to do that week. And why do you think that is? You have the privilege of having a pastor that cares about that, but it's not popular. It sounds great on paper that we need to have our sound doctrine tie into your practical living, but when you have someone tie doctrine into your practical living, you get offended right? It starts getting personal. It starts getting uh, ugly. What we would like is for someone to give us sound doctrine at the end of the message, instead of getting personal with us and calling us out on our practical living, we would like to hear, isn't it great that the Lord has given us redemption? Isn't it great that the Lord has provided us with redemption and that he has been so good to us? And we're like, yeah, that is great. And it is great. And then they end it. What does that do for you as a pastor? 
Well, what it does for you is it fills up the pews. Because you get the good, you get the good doctrine, and everyone wants the good doctrine, and that's great. We live at a time where there's not a lot of good doctrine out there, and he doesn't get personal with us. And we don't have to worry about our sin. But here, Paul is telling Titus that speaking things which are fitting for sound doctrine means getting involved in the hearts, in the practical living of your people. And he gets so specific that he starts calling out age groups. <laughs> so he says, he begins with the older men. Older men are to be. Um, in the Greek, the idea is to sound something like this. Urge the older men to be. And to be what? To be temperate, dignified. Sensible. What does that mean? Temperate. Our emotions are appropriately directed. Our emotions are appropriately directed. Temperate. In other words... The older men aren't to be like young men who have a lot of passion, but they have, it, they have no way of directing it, so they become passionate about things that uh, really don't matter. Really, in the end, at the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal, but to them, it's everything, right? But that's the young man, right? That's the young man who is untrained in how to direct his emotions, the older men should not be like the younger men. Right here, what we have is we're having a contrast going on. As he names what the older men should be like, what we are noticing is that that must mean that the younger men are having difficulty with this. So if the older men are to be temperate, that their emotions are appropriately directed, then we know that the younger men are having problems directing their emotions towards what is important as opposed to what is merely um, upsetting to them as a young man. Dignified, which means their emotions are appropriately displayed. Young men get very passionate about things Right? And they want to say all of what they're feeling. If you don't believe me, browse Facebook. <laughs> or I guess if you're a young man, Instagram. Uh, because Facebook is just for us old people now, I guess, right? <laughs> but when emotions are appropriately displayed, what we are demonstrating is dignity. When they are inappropriately displayed, what we see is someone being undignified, right? They are sensible. In other words, they are able to maintain perspective, right? This is what we expect out of the older men at our church is that they are able to be sensible. In other words, they have lived long enough to know what is important, what are the major issues and what are the minor issues? What we can be flexible about through love and what we need to be rigid about because love or not, we need to take a stand. This is the way that they ought to be. Why? Because the younger men don't understand that as much. Right? If you don't believe me, look at Facebook. Instagram. You see people that are very upset because they aren't seeing perspective. They make a huge deal out of small things and they almost ignore things that are massively important. What do I mean by that? What I mean is you have blogs and podcasts and uh, all these things that people have uh, 
tried to focus their opinions about. And their concerns and their ideas are very, very pointed and they want everyone to understand what they're talking about and that they have an opinion and it's unlike all the other opinions, they're the ones that you need to listen to and we have all this going on. Meanwhile, at home, they're failing. Because they're not sensible. Sound in faith. In other words, the older men of the church should know their theology, know what is major, know what is minor. So when the young men starts focusing on the minor and starts wanting to build some uh, attitude towards other people in the church because of something minor, the older men can say, can have the knowledge to go to those young men and say, calm down. Sound in love. Sound in love. The word sound here, being sound in faith, seems to also be directed towards love as well. Sound in faith and love. Sometimes I think we believe that love is sentimental. There is sentimentality to love, of course. It's a byproduct, but that's not what it is. When we talk about love, we talk about trying to reach out to those that are in danger, to those that need to hear a word. Let me demonstrate. If you are a father, you understand those moments when your children do something where it would be easier not to say anything. As your children become teenagers, you will really understand those moments where something happens and it'd be easier just to let it go than to start the gigantic war that's involved with you addressing it. <laughs> Love goes to war. Sometimes we try to warp love into, or call it patience when we ignore sin. I'm just being patient. And what are we worried about? Why don't we want to go to war? We're worried about losing our children, right? Worried about them walking away. Sometimes we're just lazy. But love is more worried about the hearts of those young people than they are about whether they're going to walk away or not or what kind of work it will take. Perseverance. They have the right kind of patience. In other words, they're thinking of the long term of this person. And they're going to be steadfast with those people that he inserts himself into because he understands what we might call the long game. Now as we transition, we haven't even really got to the point of all this yet. All we're doing is just going through and what this all means. He then turns to the women likewise. So the women are to be that way as well. They're supposed to be temperate, dignified, and sensible as well. Reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips. What is Paul bringing out here? How do people, particularly, if I can be sexist for a moment, I guess, particularly women, how do they bond? Usually through information. Right? Information is what usually makes women bond. Sometimes that information is about their past, that they talk to each other about things they're struggling with and things like that. And sometimes that information slips into bonding 
over being malicious against someone else. Those kind of women are the ones that need help, right? The older women should not be that way. In fact, it continues on to say that they need to speak what is good, teach what is good, and what is good. It is good that the younger women love their husbands and love their children. Now, you might think to yourself, the older women are supposed to teach how to love your husband and love your Children, isn't it true that young women who have young children already know how to love their husband and love their children? No, they don't. They have certain covenantal traits that God has planted within them of protection of the child, of having a strong emotional attachment to the child but we're sinful people so what do we do we warp that into sin now protecting your children means protecting them from discipline protecting them from daddy when daddy needs to give the kid a spanking there is disapproval and daddy learns a lesson not to spank so much, not to discipline so much because disapproval's coming. That emotional attachment that is supposed to be a good thing also becomes a ruling thing. Where the center of the marriage becomes children. not the love between the husband and the wife. The picture of deity is the center of the marriage. When children become the center of the marriage, you're doomed. On a practical level, Um, how do you know if this is happening? Because right now, I'm sure there's a lot of men thinking in their minds, <laughs> well, that's probably some other person in here. I'm, you know, I'm, everything's perfect with us. Think about how children intrude on the love you have with your wife. And if I can get extra personal with you, if you are married, what is your bedroom for? You don't have to answer that, but bedroom should be for rest, for making love to your wife. That's what your bedroom is for. What's one thing that will destroy both of those things? A child in your bedroom. Children need to understand that to love them best is to love your wife best. Children need to be, understand that to be loved best is that they know their mommy loves daddy. And they have to take a back seat sometimes because mommy and daddy love each other so much. There is great security in that. If you want to know how the other way goes when your children become the center of your marriage, you can look at our divorce rate and just wonder why it's that way. I'm sure it's just because mommy and daddy stopped loving each other. Something like that, right? What we find is that the people in our church the young people in our church need guidance. When you are married, you really believe you love your wife. When you are married, you really believe you love your husband. It is only after that that you realize how little you've loved them. 
and how little, whatever was going on in your mind on your wedding day, certainly wasn't love. Because when you get that to that fight, that, that one fight that you remember still in your mind where you think, who is this person? I don't even know them. How did this marriage even happen? Then you realize what love is. Young people don't understand that. Young people, although they would never put this on a quiz, still think that love is that incredible emotional feeling of connection you get with another person. And on those days that they don't feel that connection and they start feeling it for someone else, they really get worried. Maybe I'm not in love anymore. What we find is that young people have the biggest decisions to make at the most immature moment of their life. We're asking 18-year-olds what they should major in in college, which will then be their life uh, task forever. What do you want to be when you grow up at 18? How would they know? (laughs) They have no idea. That's why colleges are more than happy for you to change your major over and over again, as long as your check's clear, right? We're asking teenagers to go out and find a wife. What do they know about love? They know nothing. They know that when they're around that girl or around that guy, they feel something. And then they lie to everyone about it and say, oh, I love him because he just loves the Lord so much. I'm just just so excited that he loves the Lord. That's not why. That's not why you're together. And they keep on going, and we encourage it all the way to marriage. Why does that happen? Why did God make it that way? God made it that way because the assumption is there's older women and older men involved in their lives. That the influence of the older men in our church and the influence of older women in our church are going deep into the hearts of our young people and guiding them, helping them. This young lady you're with, why do you really like her? I'm not getting it. Explain it to me. How do you have that kind of conversation with a young man, older men? How do you have that kind of conversation with him? You're already involved in his life so that you can have that conversation. Young women, wouldn't it be helpful to have older women come to you and help you and say, I know you love your kids. Get them out of your bedroom. I know you love your kids, but even if they're crying, If you and your husband are having a romantic moment, let them cry. They will not die. What we find is that this kind of activity isn't merely for success. I want you to look at verse 5. When the older women are teaching the younger women to be sensible, pure, learning, teaching them how to be workers at home, teaching them how to be kind, being subject to their husbands. Why? Because this will give them a really good marriage. Is that what the verse says? Because this is the secret. This is the five steps to a good marriage. Verse 5, then they will finally be happy. Is that what it, I'm having a hard time with my glasses. Okay, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Why are you doing the work? Why would you get involved in the lives of young people in the church? Will Will they have a good marriage if they do those things? Yeah. Might they be happy? I hope so. 
What's the point? So that God's word will not be dishonored in God's church. That should be our motivation. We are such Americans, aren't we? We are such Americans. We look at this and we think, how is this going to help me? I was going through Barnes & Noble with my family the other day, which is a very depressing look at what society has become. Right? <laughs> you know? The religious section is just terrifying. Almost as scary as a Christian bookstore. Um, not as scary, but almost. Um, because you don't expect as much out of Barnes & Noble. But you look at, you know, the self-help. They don't even say self-help anymore because they're all self-help. I mean, you know, the books about art is really designed to help you do X or be X or think better or whatever it is. Uh, books about fitness is supposed to make you a better fit person. Books about uh, philosophy. You can't even have a book about philosophy anymore, about just you know, learning something about the world or something. It's, this will help you do X. This will help you be X. And everything is designed to help you be the better you. And we read scripture that way. We think, oh, how will this make me better? You know, if we have the older men and the younger, you know, you know mentor the younger men and the older women mentor the younger women, you know, that will, that will make them better people. And yeah, it might. That's great. But that's not the point. The point is that God's word will not be dishonored in the church. That should be our motivation. Will all that stuff lead to happiness and good relationships and all that sort of thing? Absolutely. That's a byproduct. The motivation is so that God's word will not be dishonored in the church as it is dishonored. Right? If the older men mentoring the younger men, and the older women mentoring the younger women is the way that God's word is not dishonored, then what is happening when that is not going on? This is logic 101. God's word is being dishonored. Our laziness, our lack of love for each other, When we look at church as the Sunday thing we do as a family, when we look at church as the place we visit, when we look at church as the place we go to hear a message and then go home, and we're not looking at church as the place that I have invested in him, him, and him, or in her, her, and her, because they're my family, because their brother is my brother, their father is my father. Last week, we talked about Philippians 2.3, which said, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. That is a wonderful theory. What does it look like in my activity? How do we get that good doctrine into practical living? I think we'd all agree that's good doctrine. That selfishness and empty conceit needs to be done away with and we need to start humbling our minds, humbling ourselves towards each other so that we can note the other person being more important than me. That you are more important than my laziness. You are more important than me having extra time. This is how it's done. Now, if you're looking around saying, okay, well, who are the older men? I think I've fought this long enough. I've always thought of myself as the younger men in the church. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure those days are over. Um, and it's weird. It's weird to think that because 
In most of my job situations, I'm usually the youngest person. I'm always surrounded by older people. I've always kind of thought of myself that way. But I'm not. I'm one of the older men. And some of you that don't have gray hair yet are still one of the older men. We have been given the opportunity to have several young people amongst us. We have a lot of children around us. God has blessed our families. And it is incumbent upon the fathers of those, of those children to be involved in their lives and the mothers of those children to be involved in their lives. And it is incumbent upon me to be involved in their lives. And the other older men who are near my age to get involved in the lives of each other. Why do we go into all this? What am I trying to get at? Is this just uh, we need to get involved in each other's lives? Uh, good, uh, good sermon. Let's uh, move on. There's something else going on. Uh, this is also speaking not merely to those that need to insert themselves in each other's lives. This is speaking to those who need to be mentored. You see, Philippians 2.3 goes both ways. Does it take humility to take the time to start mentoring someone? Yes. But what about you young people in our church? Are you humble enough to allow someone to mentor you? We live at a time where we believe that there are qualifications for someone to, uh, to have the audacity to get involved in my life, right? In fact, we live at a time where we don't need human beings uh, to be involved in our lives in person. We can do it all online. One of the most discouraging things you can do I know I pick on seminary students a lot, but I think it's needed. You want to be discouraged, start having conversations with seminary students. Ask them, why do you want to be a pastor? Who is it that really influenced you to be a pastor? And 9.5 times out of 10, they will not say a word about their pastor. It's always some guy they never met on the internet. Well, I, I've heard John MacArthur preach. and He just really got a hold of me, right? Or you go to Westminster and you hear all the famous Presbyterian, you know, great speakers and orators of the time that really, boy, they just really got a hold of that guy. And man, that is, that's the reason why I want to be a pastor. I heard him speak and I just, you know, I just want to be able to communicate God's word to people that, that way, right? What are they really saying? I want that kind of influence. I want people to listen to me. I want people to download my messages. If I can call it this, without being crass, I think of this as theological pornography. Because there's no relationship there's nothing wrong with listening to people online. There's nothing wrong with listening to sermons online. But when they become your mentor, you have entered into a world that isn't even Christian anymore. Why do men get involved in pornography or even women? It's because there's no consequences. The images on the screen don't have bad breath. Images on the screen don't nag you. Images on the screen don't get involved in your life and know about your sin. Images on the screen don't uh, know about all your failures and know how pathetic we really are. 
right? Why do we want to be amazed by what people say online? Because they don't know who we are. We can have a great relationship with a talking head on a screen. Because they're not going to nag you. You can sin. After you're watching that message, you can click over to Facebook and look at something and see something you shouldn't be looking at. Look at it a little longer. That guy's not going to do anything about it. John MacArthur's not going to fly over here and get into your house and say, what are, you, what are you looking at that for? You know who will? People at your church. But we really don't want it, do we? Because that's personal. We have bad breath. We come around and you know our failures. And you're going to tell me what I should be doing? Yeah. Because that's what, it's, that's what it's like. Have I failed a lot? Yes. And what's the first thing mentors do with their mentees? Tell you about all their failures. I failed a lot. Let me tell you how I failed. Please don't do this. Are they going to be perfect? Are they going to know the Bible as well as you do? Oh, who could? <laughs> but this is what Scripture is telling us. The infallible word is telling us. Where do you find the men to get involved in your lives, young men? Where do you find the women to get involved in your lives, young women? In your church. And this is the work that needs to be done. They're not going to be perfect people to get involved in your lives. But is the way in which God works. In fact, the very fact that they're not perfect is great. Because when God uses them, you can't say, hey, this person is amazing. You've got to say, God is amazing. He used these people in my life, these un imperfect people that loved me enough to call me on my sin and to follow up and care for me and do the work it takes, the ugly work that is not as easy as creating a podcast or talking online or making everyone see your opinions there. It's harder here. It takes up your time. People you get involved with are going to fail you. And you're going to have to forgive them. And they're going to have to forgive you. And you're going to have to think of that other person as more important than yourself. The problems we face is we want to influence strangers while we fail our own children. We want to influence social media and political issues while we fail to lead our wives. We want to influence with podcasts and ideas and posts and replies on theological doctrines while we fail our church. We want the glory of influence without the grit and the ugly confrontation of those around you right here in the room. Having someone click your like button is so much easier than having to approach someone in your church and say, hey, how's it going? And do you want to have coffee this week and talk? Are you struggling? You might be struggling with things that I have no experience with, but I want to talk to you about it. We don't want to be led by those who are here, who are imperfect, not entertaining. They're common. 
They're regular. I don't see how they're so smart to tell me what I should be doing. And that's exactly why the Lord says, do it. The work of the Holy Spirit within us will bring about a church that is serious about honoring God's word. Where we don't keep gathering on a Sunday and have the same conversation every Sunday. Do you know what I'm talking about? You've probably done this with someone at work. The Pittsburgh Steelers guy. The guy that whenever you go to them, you know, the only thing you're ever going to talk about is Pittsburgh Steelers. So you think, okay, uh, who won last week? Oh, Pittsburgh Steelers, okay. Hey, man, how you doing? Hey, how are those Steelers? How are those Steelers, man? Oh, they're great, yeah, we won last week. Hey, all right. And that's the only conversation you ever have with him. He's a Pittsburgh Steelers guy. And we do this at church, right? Oh, he's the guy that I always talk about this with. Okay, hey, how's that going? Hey, pretty good, all right. Gone. Did my job, right? What would happen if we really started to share with each other and cared about each other? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody, somebody that you knew they were just waiting to talk? They asked you about something so that they could talk about what they want to talk about. So as you are answering the question, you can see the look on their face is, I've got something to say. I don't care what you're saying. And then they finally get to say what they want to say. Right? What am I talking about? I'm talking about if we're serious about loving each other, we've got to get serious about getting involved in each other's lives in the nitty-gritty part of it where we look at each other as more important than ourselves. Where when I ask a question, I really want to know about you. And my questions are pointed. My questions are directed. Because I want to know something about you that will help me know how to help you. I invite you to coffee. We do stuff together. It takes up time. I give you advice. You don't go by it. I'm disappointed. That's life in the body. Right? You get upset with me because I'm nagging. I get upset with you because you won't, you won't do the thing that's obvious to me as an old man that you should be doing in your life. And we forgive each other because we love each other. And we try harder. And we become that church known for our love for each other. You can tell because we see each other and talk to each other more than on Sunday. As we move into the new year, my prayer for us as a church is to start thinking about how it is that the older women in our church will start inserting themselves in the lives of the younger women in our church. How the older men in our church will start thinking about how they're going to insert themselves into the lives of the younger men in our church. When I was in Toledo, an older man did that for me. He had the means to meet with me every Monday at Cracker Barrel, and he paid for it. That was really nice, because <laughs> I did not have those means. And I'm not saying that that's what it has to look like, that you treat someone out every Monday, but what I am saying is it should look like something you can do. Because that experience that I had with that man has shaped the kind of person I have become. The work he did with me, I am sure he feels has gone to waste. 
He put a lot of time into me, and I am sure there is a product that he was hoping for that may not have turned out so much the way he was hoping. But I'll tell you this, it has changed me. It has made me someone that cares about God's church in a way I wouldn't have cared before. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Working in the way that the Holy Spirit told us to work. Let us in the new year start imagining more what it is that our love for each other looks like. What it means for us to view the other as more important than ourselves. And what that looks like in the week. How we can love each other and help each other best. Where the younger are humbling themselves before the older and the older are humbling themselves before their Lord to take the time to do it. May the Lord bless our, our church as we head into 2021. Let us pray for God's blessing, not merely to fill up more pews, but that we would be known. And this is something that Scripture talks about a lot, that we would be known for our love for each other, which means we are deadly serious about influencing each other. We're more interested in influencing each other in a church than we are about influencing strangers on Facebook. We are so deadly serious about it that it changes the face of how we interact every Sunday and even in the week. Let this be our prayer.